Well, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, we try to get the whole chapter in today. As we move just chapter by chapter, really try to go verse by verse, but uh, the content here, you, you have to take the chapter as a whole. And so we want to do that. Genesis chapter 17, let me open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for just the privilege of worshiping you. Um, Lord, just such good music, uplifting music, um, so encouraging already this morning. And uh, Lord, now that we look into your word, I pray for more encouragement. I pray for um, just your, uh, just for clarity, for understanding, so that your spirit can work in our hearts and correct the things that need to be corrected. Uh, build our faith, strengthen us. Uh, Lord, may we think more biblically as a result of this this passage today. We thank you again for, for being here. We thank you for your word and the guidance it gives us our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we see again in this chapter that God is committing himself to Abram and his family, his descendants, and he's reiterating his um, co- covenant with Abraham. Now, this started 25 years earlier when Abraham was and Abram was 75 years old. God visited Abraham and told him to come out of the land of the Chaldeans. That's where he was living. That would have been south of Babylon. Come out of that land and moved him into the land of promise. And Abraham was an old man at that point, even, but. Yet he, God established him well in that land. Now Abram is 99 years old. Uh, in fact, there's, there's 13 years between chapter 16 and chapter 17. We notice that Ishmael is 13 years old. And this is the third time that God has brought up to Abram this covenant that he is making with him. And in this passage, we see more detail. In fact, it, we could see this almost as a, a, a an official document, and this would be kind of the fine print at the at the end, or or some of the details that you would look through. Uh, it would be the small print at the bottom. And last week we saw that that in a moment of weakness, Abram listened to the voice of his wife and took Hagar, uh, Sarah's maidservant, and and had a, a son through her. But that son was not part of the covenant. It was not part of the covenant that Abram was making, that God was making with Abraham. And um, uh, that event, though, did not define him. Because what we see throughout Scripture is that he is a man of faith. And even in this time, we see that he is still trusting in God, that he is an example to us of our faith. In fact, the Bible says, Paul said, it was read for us earlier, that he is the father of our faith. So we understand what faith is by looking at him, the kind of faith that we need. Now, he was not perfect. Obviously, there was doubts going on in his mind, but he did not act on those doubts. He acted in faith in, in God. And that's what we see in this passage. In fact, what, what we see is, in this discussion between God and Abraham, we begin to see what God expects of those who have a relationship with him. 
What God expects when with those who are walking by faith, those who are walking with God, what what does that mean? This passage helps us with this. And somewhat uh, you can you can begin to compare or or you'll see some parallel uh, between the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. And you'll see this element of faith is a consistent thing that uh, breaks uh, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And what we see today, though, if we evaluate these things, we see that the faith that is practiced today in today's Christianity is far lack lacking and, and really is very little in comparison, has very little substance in the faith that Abraham had. Abraham's faith, we see, is a faith of substance. And I want you to see that today. And the overall principle, overarching principle is those who profess the name of God should demonstrate a faith in God. Now, that sounds just cliche. That sounds like something we should already know. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, this is a picture, I believe, of what walking by faith looks like. Now, the passage we see is a series of speeches that God is giving to Abraham. In fact, what we see is it's announcements. God is announcing to Abraham. It's not just dialogue, but he is is informing or telling Abraham what is going on here. And God has committed himself. He has bound himself to this couple, to Abraham and Sarah for all eternity. This is his couple. Through them, he's going to produce a chosen race, a chosen people to himself. He's committing himself to Sarah and Abraham. Sarah and and Abram, even though they're frail, even though from our perspective they they have weak faith, they're, they're not as strong as they should be. And what he does is he establishes what we see as the Abrahamic covenant. Very specific, isn't it? One person, one man, out of all of the billions of people that are going to be on the earth, there's one Abrahamic covenant. And it's significant. It's a significant covenant. So it causes us to ask the question, what is the specifics of this Abrahamic covenant? And then what does it mean to us? How does it relate to us today in our faith? The passage is broken down into four sections, very easily uh, seen uh, sections. The first three sections are God's announcements to Abraham or Abram. And the fourth section is Abram's response to that. And what I want us to see through this discussion with Abraham or these announcements from God is that I want us to see a, a faith of substance. What God expects, what faith is to look like, what walking by faith is. So let's look at the first announcement. Announcement number one, we see God's reiterating his promise to Abraham or Abram in verse one. Now it happened that when Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, all of you automatically see this is a sober tone here. I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. Walk before me. Verse 2. So that I may commit my covenant 
between me and you and that I may multiply your you exceedingly. And Abraham, Abraham fell on his face and and God spoke to him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of multitude of nations and no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham for I am I have made you the father of multiple a multitude of nations and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will go forth from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seeds after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Now, again, the first thing you see is a sober tone here. This is God Almighty speaking This is not a casual visit. This is not a casual conversation with God. And Abraham falls on his face. There's a sobriety here. There's soberness. There's there's a humility, a reverence, and even fear, we might say. God Almighty. And with this kind of tone, God speaks to Abraham and he reiterates his covenant with him. He's committing himself to Abraham. Now, we already know a little bit about this covenant. We, we've seen this in the past. In chapter 12, we see that God says, Abraham, move. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Um, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. It's part of the covenant. In chapter 15, we saw that God cut a covenant with Abraham. It was very graphic. God committing himself. And it was a unilateral covenant that God was making with Abraham. Abraham didn't have to do anything but trust God. But have faith in God. And then some 13 years later. We see now that God is saying something new here. Some, some Adding some more information that it's not just one nation that Abram's going to be responsible for. He's going to, there's going to be a multitude of nations coming from Abram. We, um, we know that Ishmael was born. Ishmael was 13 years old at, at this time. We'll see Ishmael in just a, a second. But we also see in chapter 25 that Abram lives to 175 years old. And after Sarah dies, he has another another wife and he has children with that other wife. So there's multitude of nations. God is certainly going to bless Abraham or Abram with a number of children, a number of offspring. So much so that he changed Abram's name to, to, to make it a plural, the father of multitude of nations. That's the idea here. But there's one other thing that we need to know about this, and it's. God is establishing, God is establishing uh, his status among them. The kind of relationship that he is going to have with Abraham and his people, or Abraham and his people. In verse 7, we see 
that says at the end of that, he says at the end of that verse, it says to be God to you and to your seed. I'm going to be your God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be God? He has all authority. He's used that, that term, El Shaddai. All authority. God has a right over His people. That's what a God is. I will be your God. And he, he reiterates that in verse 8 at the end. He says, I will be their God. In fact, we go on and the phrase is used throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. I will be their God and they shall be my what? My people. There's a connection there. There's a relationship there. And I think that's what uh, we, we need to see. There's a relational uh, belonging here. And what comes with that, note, that God has a right over His people. He is God. He is sovereign. He has a right to define them. He has a right to change their name if He wants to change their name. He has a right to, to redirect their life. He has a right to impose His will upon them. He is God. He is sovereign. We need to get that. We need to understand that. A relationship with God is built upon an understanding of who God is. All authority. Now, Abram's response to this is, is part of this walking by faith. And that's what Abraham is commanded to do. Verse 1, he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Two things, walk before me. It's an ongoing relationship. Every day, this is an acknowledgement, a living by God's lifestyle that he establishes. An ongoing thing every day and be blameless, righteous, Live the way God expects us to live. Live a life that is pleasing to Him. Live a life that is glorifying to Him. Now, this has always been the standard. This is what is expected of godly men, that, that they walk by faith. They walk with God. We saw that with Enoch. We saw that with Noah. saw that with Job. We see it now with Abram. And what we see with Abram, if you want to turn over there to Genesis chapter 22, we see that the, this story, we haven't seen this one yet, but Abram's willing to follow the Lord and, and uh, to, to the point that he is willing to sacrifice his own son. And he says in verse 16, he says, you have not spared your son. Verse 18, at the end of verse 18, because you have listened to my voice. That's what it is to walk with God. He understands that God has authority over his life. If we go to chapter 16, we'll see God's comment on Abram's life. I'm sorry, uh, Genesis chapter 26. We start at verse 3, but at the end of that section, verse 5, because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. This was Abraham's. Abraham's responsibility was just trust the Lord. Walk blameless before Him. Walk in a godly manner before Him as God expects Him to do. Those who represent God here on this earth, those who take the name of God, are also taking His character, aren't they? Taking on His values, taking on His judgments, the way He sees life. 
taking on his very name. And it's a serious business. It's a serious business. And they must recognize then the authority that God has over their life. Now that's a, a very important principle. A very important principle. That's the kind of faith that we are to have. And I'm afraid that we lack that in the New Testament context. At least today. Not, not necessarily in Scripture. But what we see today is our faith doesn't have that kind of substance. And here's the principle. The principle is this. The first step of walking with God is knowing who is in charge. <laughs> knowing who is in charge. It's just the lordship of, of God that He is Lord over our life. And we, we confess Jesus as Lord, Romans chapter 10, Paul says. That, that's what we do. We, we just recognize that, that He is, has authority over our life. We relinquish all rights to my life and relinquish that to Him. That's what we're called to in the New Testament. That's what Christ called us to. He said, if you're going to follow me, you have to give up everything else. You have to lose your life in order to, to gain your life. That's the kind of faith Abraham had. That's the kind of faith that Abraham was expected to have. That's the kind of faith we are to see in the New Testament as well. That's the kind of faith that, that Christ taught. We have faith in God, walking with God. We are to relinquish our rights. We have to recognize who is in charge. So I I will say, if a person isn't recognizing God's authority over their life, God's authority over their life, I will have to say with the full authority of Scripture, that they are not a believer if if you're not walking under the lordship of Christ, you're just promoting self. You're just promoting self. God's first uh, announcement then, reiterating this promise to Abraham, is that he has the right to crash into our life at any moment and, and tell us what to do. He is God. Number two, the second announcement from God. God gives a sign then of this uh, of of this covenant. Now this is new information. Most of this is new information. What is the? Uh, let me let me read the passage, verse nine. It says God says God said further to Abram, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your seed after you throughout their generation. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old, eight days old, shall be circumcised throughout your generation. One one who is born in your house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not your seed. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with, bought with your money shall surely, be, shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant shall be between your flesh for, you, for an everlasting covenant. But... And 
circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that that person shall be cut off from his people who has been who has broken his covenant. So he introduces this new information here about circumcision. Now, there's some questions that we need to ask right away. What is what is this circumcision? The Bible doesn't get too graphic here, but we we need to understand a little bit. So we want to explain this. It's obviously the male uh, of the the clan is to be circumcised. That is the the head of every household, even down to the the youngest uh, boy. Women, of course, are a part of this covenant. They are included in this covenant, but, but they are under the uh, the authority of their father or their husband. And essentially, it's just the removal of the foreskin and the male reproductive organ. Now, you say, well, why? Why is this so important? Well, it was a, it was a, it was practiced during this time that God didn't make this up. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to throw something new there, but he does take circumcision that was existing in, in Abraham's time. It was mainly just for, for boys moving from boyhood to manhood. Um, but he sanctified that, brought it into his, for his, and used it for his purposes. There's also health benefits, they say, from circumcision. Bacteria gets in the fold of the skin. They say women, uh, Jewish women have the lowest rates of, of um, cervical cancer. So there's, it could be that. But I, th- I think it's just a matter of God wants to identify his people. And this is a way to do that. God sanctifies or sanctions this to distinguish his people, the nation of Israel, to identify them in a, in a physical and an ethic, ethnical lineage. They're Jewish. This is a Jewish practice, primarily what we know today is a Jewish practice. And, and those who are involved are part of the Jewish nation. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 7. Uh, Paul lays it out that Abraham was circumcised. Isaac was circumcised. Jacob was circumcised. The twelve, His 12 sons were circumcised. It was a Jewish thing. Everyone that came forth from, from Abraham was circumcised. All of those men were circumcised. And that's the primary element. It's a distinction there for national Israel. But there's also... Some symbolism here that you need to understand. This is so interesting, so so neat. If you turn over to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah gives us a, a little bit of insight here. Not to the one who works, his wages is not counted according to... I'm sorry, um, uh, I, I got a new Bible. So you just have to be patient with me. New Bibles are the worst. So, Jeremiah, not really. You understand the context. Don't take it out of context. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Circumcise, circumcise therefore, uh, circumcise yourself to Yahweh and remove the foreskin of your heart. There's some symbolism here, isn't there? There's a, a cutting away of the sinfulness of the heart. 
God made that heart to be pure, but sin has invaded that heart. That, that needs to be cut away. That's something that's so important. If we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30, this is one of the promises that, that uh, Moses is making. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. It says, moreover, Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahweh, your God, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. That's what needs to happen, isn't it? It's a deep cleansing, a, a repentance that God needs to cut away that the, 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 the sinfulness of that heart. That's that's what needs to happen. And that's a and so circumcision is is a an illustration, you might say, a symbol of a, a spiritual reality that's taking place there. That's what should happen. Now it's turned into just just circumcision on the outside. Uh, and it was not used a, in a in a good way many times. The question is, do we need to be circumcised today? And the answer is, is no. Acts chapter 15, the, the church came together in the first council in Jerusalem. They had all of the godly men there. They discussed this and they come to the conclusion that no, circumcision was not necessary for salvation. It was not necessary. In fact, we are under a new covenant. In fact, the new covenant really has the same kind of ingredients as the uh but uh, taking on the, the spiritual, taking on the symbol. If you go over to Romans chapter 2, Paul articulates this pretty, pretty well. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Wonderful passage. Twenty minutes later, I'll find it. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. says this. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh. And he's talking about the spiritual reality. You can't just have be circumcised and not have any kind of heart change there. That, that's, that's not what God intended at all. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart. The, the, the Jews... Got that all confused. In fact, Christ had to correct that, didn't he? That was the that was one of the problems. It was, it was just their Judaism that the Pharisees were holding to. They were just holding to circumcision, the benefit of circumcision. Everybody wants the benefit of circumcision. Everybody wants that. And Jesus said you need to circumcise the heart. Moses said the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16. The heart needs to be circumcised. There's three levels here that we need to understand. Three levels of circumcision. First of all, it was on a personal level. That man that had to be circumcised in in Abram's day was a personal step of obedience. It was an an act of obedience to God to be circumcised. It was a painful thing. It was not something he would want to go through, but he he would do that. It was dependence upon God and God's word. And if he did not do that, he was going to be, to be thrown out of the community. They would have no relationships with him, according to verse 14. Also, he was being the head of the household. 
There is a distinction that is made that our household is designed to to glorify God. We are in obedience to God. He is the head of this household. We belong to God. That's the idea. And of course, it the third level would be the national level that the whole nation belonged to God. In fact, they were to be circumcised. It wasn't dependent upon the little boy. It was dependent upon the boy's parents so that, so that the covenant would keep on going. It would be a never-ending covenant with this new baby male child. And it was put into law in the book of Leviticus. So this was an ongoing thing for the nation. And Christ, I mean, it's, I'm sorry, Paul, uh, by the time we get to the New Testament, though, and we're under the New Covenant, Paul said the circumcision was just worthless. It didn't save anyone. It, it, it didn't have any kind of benefit. We do not hold to circumcision. But what we do see is that spiritual reality still exists, that cutting away of the sinful heart. And there is a, a belonging here. I, I think as part of the, the nation, part of the family, is that identity that, that we belong to God. They belonged to God. And it was a privileged position, wasn't it? In the Old Testament, the, the believer was placed in the nation of Israel. They became a Jew. They were part of that community to not be they were to taken out and to be taken away from that community. In the New Testament, though, we're placed where? In the body of Christ. There's still a belonging there. And here's a principle for us. Those who walk by faith, by faith in God, belong to God. Folks, that's an amazing thing. He has authority over us, but we belong to him. We are his people, Peter says. He is our shepherd. He loves us. He bought us with a a price, the blood of of Christ. Now, today we have a culture that says, well, you define yourself. You you can define yourself. You want to see yourself as a a woman. You want to see yourself as a man when God made you a, a woman. You want to redefine yourself. But folks, that that goes completely against Scripture. We belong as Christians, as believers, those who are walking by faith, we belong to God. He has the right over our life. The question is, why do so many Christians want to pursue this? Pursue belonging to something else. They they say, it really is amazing to me, and and apparently COVID has had a, a big impact in our global, global impact, that people do not feel like they belong anymore. Uh, even in college campuses now, the, the, I guess the disjointedness or, or whatever. So, so they're trying to find out how they can help these college students belong, to have that sense of belonging. For the believer, folks, we belong to God. He, he defines us. He tells us who we are. He defines what righteousness is. We give up our sin. He defines our lifestyle. He, he gives us pressure to stand, or He gives us um, a strength to stand against the world's pressure. Because we are owned by Him, and therefore we can be light. And we can be salt. 
in this world. We can be what God has called us to be. Well, in the old covenant, in the Abrahamic covenant, there was a, a sign and that was that was uh, circumcision. Let's go back to the third announcement from God is the the covenantal line. This covenant line is through Sarah. We see this in verse 15. Then God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said, now notice, said in his heart, in his heart, will a son be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? And Abraham said to, to God, oh, that Ishmael, as though he, he's got this, you know, I, I did have this other son. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear a bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall become a father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. Very specific, very narrow very defensive. God would say, no, I will have none of that. It is going to be through Sarah, your your wife, that she's going to have Isaac. And then she's going to have, uh, then Isaac will have sons, Jacob. And then Jacob will have sons. And uh, you have the 12 tribes. And eventually that line goes to, to Christ himself. And through that line, that line will be a blessing to the world. Now, Abraham laughs. This is probably the first time he has thought about the idea that his older wife, barren old wife, is going to have a, a baby, a son. At 90 years old, and he, he laughs probably within himself and his own heart. Um, he's thinking that this is highly unlikely, highly improbable. How is he going to do this? And you see, you can see the, some doubts. We'll look at that in a little bit, this doubting. But God was forceful here. God Almighty can overcome Sarah's barrenness and can overcome Sarah's age. And he changes Sarah's name as well from Sarai to Sarah. Sarai meaning my princess to princess. Probably implying the, the, the number of nations that will come from her. And then he talks about Ishmael. It's not going to be through Ishmael. This covenant will not be through Ishmael. But I will bless Ishmael. And of course, that's, uh, that is the desire of Abraham's heart there. Now, note here that God is in charge. This is God's plan. Abraham, don't make up your own plan. I am sovereign here. It's not going to be through 
uh, you're uh, conniving and scheming. No, I will do it and I will do it in my timing. And so Abraham and, and Sarah had to fit into God's plans. Now, folks, that's what it is to walk by faith. We fit into to God's plan. That's a, that's a great picture. Don't come up with your own plan, Abraham. Walk by faith. Fit into my plan. And that's the principle. Walk with God is more than just one step, isn't it? You take that another step and another step. A walk with God is a, is a, a constant going on, a constant walk. And, and we're fitting into God's direction, fitting into God's plan. And that's the principle. And the evidence of true faith is just doing God's plan. It's not just saying or agreeing, but it's in the doing, in the submitting. God's will is being imposed in, on, on her life, on Sarah's life, on their life. And the attitude that Christ told us to have, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, let me just ask you, show of hands, the ladies, at 90 years old, would you like to have a baby? Mm-mm. And that's hard, right? Who wants to go through that at 90 years old? N- nobody. But God is showing His power. That God is a powerful God. And He can do these things. Those who walk by faith have to understand that God is imposing His will upon their life. It's not an easy thing, but, but this is what God had planned. And they're fitting into that. God will will do His plan. He will impose upon their life. You know, the police impose the law upon my life. You know, if I'm going down the road, I'm just doing what I want to do. And the police has every right to pull me over. The teachers, growing up, teachers had the right to impose their will upon my life. In in Scripture, we're commanded to train up a child in the way he should go. We are to impose our will upon that child's life and say, you're not going to go down this way, you're going to go down this direction. We're to, to do that. To impose our will upon our children. And God has the right to do that with us. He can impose His will upon our life. Now, His will is found... In his word. And to neglect his word. Is to neglect his will. It's just disobedience. I want to go down my road. I want to go down my life. The path that I want. So I'm not going to. I'm just going to ignore this. Word. But God's will is found in God's word. We have to fit into God's plan. To do that. We have to know God's word. It's just walking by faith. So the third announcement was this Sarah was part of the covenant. Now, look at the last section here, the fourth section. Verse 22, I'll start with verse 22. So he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. Verse 23, then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, 
and all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money and every male among the men of Abram's household and circumcised the flesh of the foreskin of the foreskin in the very same day, immediate obedience, the very same day as God had spoken with him. Now, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh. That would not be fun in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, was, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, same thing, reiterate the same idea. Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael was circumcised. Now all the men who of his household who were born in his house or bought with his money from for, a foreigner were circumcised with him. What do you get out of there? Immediate obedience. Deliberate, intentional, fulfilling God's instructions to a T right away. Now, let's go back to this idea of doubts. What was in Abram's mind? The passage that Wally read for us earlier in Romans chapter 4, a wonderful passage, just leading up to this. I want you to just listen. What, what was going on in Abraham's mind? Verse 17, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations I've made you in the presence of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead. So Abraham's thinking, okay, this, this is a God He gives life to the dead. I I know that. He can call into being that which is not existing. What is he talking about there? Creation of the world. We're talking about a God who could just speak things into existence. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which he has had spoken. So So shall your seed be. And without being weak in faith, I love that. From our perspective, he was weak in faith. But now listen, without being weak in faith, he he contemplated his own body now as good as dead. He says, look, I'm 99 years old. 99 years, I'm I'm as good as dead. There's no possible way. Since he had, uh, he was about 90, uh, since he was about 100 years, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So, so there's doubts. We, we might call them doubts. He might call them challenges. Just thinking through this. Logically, he's thinking, how, how is this going to work? There's no way this can work logically or, or just physically. So there would be doubts there about his own body, about Sarah's body. Yet, in verse 20, with respect to... The promise of God, that's that covenant, what God said, promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to do. That is an incredible passage. Therefore. It was also counted to him for righteousness. This is the kind of faith we are to have. This is the kind of faith that saves people. Stepping out on the promises of God. Working those things out in our life. Is there doubts? 
Is there questions in the back of our mind thinking, how in the world will God do this? Yes, but he doesn't act on the doubts. He acts on the promises of God. That's faith, folks. That's faith. Those who, and the principle is then, those who walk by faith trust God's principles and God's promises. Trust God's promises. And this is... He would look at this and say, this is an impossible task. But then he remembers, you know what? God can can create out of nothing. God can cause people to raise from the dead. He is a mighty God. He wants to show his power. I'm going to step out in faith and I'm just going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. That's the kind of faith that we are to have today. And I look at the faith of the Christian community today and I think, "Mm, this is not the same kind of faith that Abraham had. We have a faith today that's just kind of weak. It's just a faith in a, a religion kind of faith. I, I, here's what I believe. Or, or I'm part of, I'm on this side of the culture wars. Or I'm on this side of the doctrinal. I hold to these doctrines. That's the kind of belief. I believe in these doctrines. But what we see in Scripture is an actual trusting in God. An actual stepping out in faith, putting his principles into our life and and walking by faith, faith in his promises. That's the kind of Christianity, that's the kind of walking by faith, Christianity that we should see today, but I think it's far lacking. God, he comes crashing into Abraham and Sarah's life. He says, I am God Almighty. Crashes their world. He changes their world up. Turns their world upside down. But he has power. He spoke with clarity. He spoke with dominance. And Abraham just obeyed. It's a picture of faith. It's a wonderful picture of faith. Walked with God. Had a relationship with God. That's what God does. He has the right to impose his will upon our lives. And those who profess the name of God need to demonstrate that kind of faith. Don't we? And the emphasis here is upon God's will, the course that God sets. He can change Abraham's name, change the direction of Abraham's life, turn Abraham's world upside down. And Abraham just says, okay, God, your will be done. May we have that kind of faith, folks. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this passage. And just what an example of faith Abraham was to to us, um, Lord, I look around and, and I just, I don't see that kind of faith today in, in, the, in today's Christianity. It's just a kind of a shallow faith. Lord, may we, may we exercise faith in your promises, in your word. May we trust your will, not our own will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.